Are you all well? You look well. Are you well? Yeah, you sound well. That's excellent. Good stuff. Good to see you all. And uh, well, lovely to be here. And it is week two. So you had Pastor Julian. Is it Julian last week? That right from Watoto Church? Yeah. And, uh, and so a uh, week before that, Pastor Sean had started a new series uh, called Hope for Our Finances. So I'm going to leapfrog that and go into week two uh, of that. And so if you remember, Pastor Sean spoke about uh, God as our provider. Uh, today I'm going to talk about Christ is our model, okay? And uh, that's a good model to have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, you know, it's models go, okay? It's a great model to have. Jesus is our model, okay? And so if you're ready with me this afternoon, let's go to the Word of God. We're going to the Second Corinthians, uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. And we're going to go to chapter 8, and we're going to read the first nine verses. That's all we have uh, in the text today. And... Um, I will say this as you're getting ready, uh, that chapters 8 and 9 are some of the most practical teaching that you will get in, in the New Testament on giving. And so if you want to explore uh, giving and generosity and so on in your own time, why would you not? Um, by all means, do that over those couple of chapters. But there's a couple of things that I want to just bring out of the first nine verses that are going to help us in terms of Christ is our model. And so if you are ready, open up your tablets, your Bibles, or look, see, look at that, they're already behind me on the screen. Uh, so let me get out of the way, and I will read this, and you can follow along. And, uh, and so 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, Paul is writing to the, his second letter to the Corinthian church, and he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So not the Corinthian churches, other churches in the region of Macedonia. And so he's going to brag on them a little bit and uh, boast about them to the church in Corinth. He says in verse 2, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up within them, in rich generosity. I find that interesting because it's not often you find overflowing joy and then you add a pinch of extreme poverty and you create overflowing generosity, okay? It's, it's, it's usually one overwhelms the other. Uh, what we have here is something special about the Macedonian churches then that piques our curiosity and we got to read on to find out what's going on. And so in, in verse 3 he says, for I testify that they give as much as they were able, and then he says, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And Paul says, they exceeded our expectations. Isn't it wonderful to get around people who exceed your expectations? Yeah, wouldn't it be even better to be a person that exceeds the expectation of others, amen? And it's incredible, Jesus exceeds all our expectations. And I believe one of the ways the church can really excel in the world today is to exceed and go beyond the expectations. Let's face it, expectations of the non-believing world about the local church, not so good. But you know what? If we can exceed and go on beyond expectations, I believe we open the door for the influence of the Holy Spirit no matter where we go. Anyway, they give themselves, Paul goes on, verse 5, first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urge Titus then, as one of the, the fellow workers with Paul, he says, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So in other words, he said to the, master, or to the church in Corinth, you said a while ago you were going to give, so I'm going to send Titus 
more or less to make sure you do. Okay, that's pretty much what he's going here. And he says, so let's read verse 6 again. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, uh, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Uh, but since you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled within you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, verse 8, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And this beautiful verse, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Amen. We love the Word of God. Amen. Life-giving, life-changing. That's what it's all about. Hands up anyone in the room who's ever had or has a positive role model in their life. All right? Now, keep your hands up if you're willing to shout out, all right, who? Who are they? Moms, good. Yes, parents? Brilliant. Who else? <laughs> That's it. It's my favorite right there, okay? That's another, that's another 20 euro. That's going to cost me. That's good stuff. Thank you, Joe. Anyone else? Okay, just me. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm in. We can go. All right. Positive role models are awesome. And you know, our, our guys, and you'll see a picture in a little minute. So uh, for me, I got to be honest, role models, when I think of role models, I think they're for younger people. They're not, of course. Uh, but whenever you have children, suddenly, you know, you want your kids to be surrounded by positive role models, don't you? Because there are plenty of negative role models. Anyone ever had a negative role model? Anyone ever been? An, okay, don't put your hand. All right. All right. So positive role models are really important. And so I want to encourage you, role models are important no matter who they are, no matter what age you are. It's really important that we have some people in our lives that we can look up to and inspire and do whatever, okay, in our lives, okay? So I'm going to show you two or three of mine. Here's the first one, that role model I have, and it's, the, it's Big Jim. That's my dad. Look at that. Look, look, see, you just know he's a certain age, all the plants and the flowers, don't they? These plants would be dead in my house, completely gone, okay, needing revived. But there he is. And uh, mom, of course, my mom as well, she is a role model to myself still, but she takes photographs like this, okay? Don't put me in photographs. So instead of me showing you a picture of him and two hands, I just thought I'd show you a picture, but I want you to, it's mom and my dad, okay? And so, and the reason is they are completely selfless, okay? They come to a stage in their life where they are completely selfless people. I was staying down there last weekend and uh, typical true to form, I was leaving the house to come to Newbridge actually with more than what I brought to the house, okay? That ever happened and you know, you got grandkids now, you got sons, and your family, you give them stuff. And I was telling you, Bridge, last week, I left the house last Sunday or last Sunday morning early with two pairs of running, running socks, right? Random. A running cap, because you run now, apparently. And then also a jar of flax oil. Good for your joints, son. Good for your joints. Get that India. Okay, so you're a certain age now. It's all about your health. Keep running, keep drinking flax oil. That seems to be the thing. But they're more the selfless people they really are. And so next one then, I want you to meet all of my children. And some of you may not have seen them. some of them or all of them. We have Lucy here. She was born third. And then Sarah was born first. Peter born second. And Charlotte born last. She's my baby. And then that's my eldest, okay? And they've got the two middle kids right there. And so they are role models to me and, of course, to Judith as well because, and this is just personal to me, I guess, but they were born three months premature almost. And uh, they're 17 now. And they're pushing through and they're thriving and, and doing well, as all uh, sort of teenagers do and all of that stuff. But it just reminds me about the power of overcoming. It reminds me 
actually the power of God's promises and reminds me to keep trusting God for miracles, amen? And you need those things in your life, those people, those touchstones, those things that help remind you of just what God is able to do, all right? And then this man here, Pastor Sean Malarkey, uh, some of you, many of you will know him, just a great personal friend of mine. There he is, waving at people there. And uh, most of you will know Sean and Susan have been through a very difficult season. They're through the other side, and we thank God. Um, But one thing I want to say, and I'll brag on him a little bit, his faith and his response all the way through was completely constant. Now, I know there was high days and low days, I am quite sure. Uh, But nevertheless, when I was working with him and uh, we were planning stuff with CCI, etc., etc., he was completely constant in his attitude, in his faith, and in his outlook. And just incredible stuff, everybody. And so you will have some of your own uh, role models as well. And so I don't know who they would be there for you, but I encourage you find them. They have this kind of ability to stir passion, they values, they belong to a community. And But for me, one of the most abiding things about role models is that they have this kind of ability, haven't they, to overcome obstacles. And I think when we, you know, have obstacles in our lives, we need some people we can turn to to say, you know what, you've been through that and you inspire me. I'm going to do all of that as well. And so if I was to put all this into a sentence, okay, one little line, a little quote, I would say this, that role models provide propulsion for your purpose, okay? Because all of you have a purpose. Amen. All of you are on the planet in this time, and you could have been born at any age, any generation, any era, but in the wisdom and intention of God, you have been born and placed on planet Earth in this part of the world for such a time as this. You have a God-given purpose, and role models for me provide propulsion for that purpose, because often in life we can become a little bit stale, a little bit slow, but we need these role models to come alongside and push us forward. Now, Paul is writing, as I said earlier, his second letter uh, to the church in Corinth. And uh, the mother church, to give you some context, in Jerusalem was going through like a season of financial lack and a financial need. And so Paul is writing about organizing a big collection between the the Gentile churches, the Macedonian, Ephesus, and now Corinth, in order to lift an offering to go and help and bless and to build, all right? And so as he's writing to the church in Corinth, and there are other role models that he does pull out, but time permits me to just present two to you today in the first eight or nine verses of chapter eight. And so what I want to do is give you two. And the first one is this, everyone, role model number one, we need the propulsion of our peers, okay? In the whole idea of giving, sometimes we need role models, and those role models can be found in our peers. In the early days of Cornerstone, I'm talking the very early days of Cornerstone, where I and my wife, we pastored and ministered there in the Northwest up in Derry. Um, when we had visiting speakers, okay, we kind of thought we were a little bit, oh, you know, we know how to treat people. We know how to do a thing or two about treating people well. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We would, we would know when your flight would be, of course. We would dispatch a driver and uh, they would pick you at the airport, drop you off at a, the nearest hotel. Uh, we would get a nice room for you, maybe, and have some dinner. We'd get you up, you know, next day, we'll hang out, go get you to church, you'd maybe preach a little bit, some lunch, back to the airport, whoosh, off you go, little envelope for your troubles. We thought we knew how to think, oh yeah, we were small. We would spoil, we thought we were a bit up there, you know, we knew how to win. And so people would want to come to Cornerstone when I lifted the phone, yes, I'm definitely coming because your hospitality is fabled, okay? Not so much. Until 
until I went to Australia to preach, a once in a lifetime kind of thing, to go to the Western Australia, to a city called Perth. Anyone ever been to Australia or Perth? Okay, awesome, rock and roll, beautiful. And, uh, and so I, I, I learned a thing or two, okay, and I discovered I knew nothing about hospitality at all, okay? And so when you come off the plane after, I don't know, 20-odd hours on a flight, the inside of you is kind of melted, okay? You're not sure who you are, whether you're alive, you might be. You're still moving and breathing, so you suggest that you probably are, but you're not sure. And so we are dragging, I was working with Andy McCourt, the two of us were together, and I was, we were dragging our luggage behind and through arrivals we, we'd arrived, and these four people came up towards us. We didn't know who they were, but they were actually from the church that we were going to speak at. They came towards us like bodyguards. They grabbed the luggage. They walked around us, I mean, in a square, and they walked us to a, a Jeep, a blacked out Jeep van thing, right? And I wasn't sure. <laughs> we getting in? And so open the door, in you go. And they get into the front, I get into the back. And there was a, there was a basket. There was a basket in between the two seats. A basket. And the basket was full of fruit and stuff and wipes and hankies and, you know, chewing gum and all the stuff. That's what I'm feeding my face. Yes, this is great. And so this was just part of it. And then they whisked us off to the hotel. Swish. And we got to the hotel. Everybody in the hotel. <laughs> it's the sort of hotel you can't tell your wife you're enjoying, okay? It's, oh, it's off. It's a dump. Oh, one star. Okay. This hotel had a golf course. Everybody say golf course. Golf course. It had a golf course. But do you know what they had on the golf course? Don't say grass. You know what they had on the golf course? Kangaroos! They had kangaroos. I've never seen a kangaroo in my life. And they had herds of them up. Four, you know, you're hitting kangaroos. It was like, whack the kangaroo. It was unreal. Herds of kangaroos. Anyway, we get into the hotel. Check-in was already taken. Kurt didn't have to check-in. They whizzed in with the bags up into the room. I get into the room. There's another basket. Another basket of stuff. The same kind of elk as the car. Another basket. Can you imagine? Golf course. Things. Boing, boing. What do you call them? Kangaroos. And then we have baskets. And in the basket was a handwritten letter. Dear Pastor Brian, love you to see you. Hugs and kisses. I'm like, what? I am never going home. This is fantastic. So we got freshened up. We got uh, stayed overnight watching the kangaroos from the room. Mental. And... Um, Slipped over, got shower dressed, going to church the next day, and we're picking you up at six o'clock. No bother, be at the front. Yes, we'll be at the front. We're at the front of the hotel. You know that you can drive, kind of drive around. There's a front door canopy, and there's a drive around. So we're at the thing at the door. These two Jeeps this time, not one, a Jeep each. A CIA. I'm like, oh, this is it. I wasn't sure if we were going to church or a holding cell to be deported. I wasn't sure where we were going. Anyway, get in. In we go. Another basket. So another human had filled the basket I'd emptied on the way from the airport. And it was all there. It was fantastic. Only this time, the driver was speaking to something up his sleeve. Ten minutes, ten minutes will be ten minutes. And this is fantastic. This is wonderful. Golf courses, kangaroos, fruit baskets. Now somebody's speaking up their sleeve. It's fantastic. So we're ten minutes out of the hotel. I don't know what I'm saying now. Into the church, okay? Five minutes, five minutes. Whoa, we're five minutes out. And then he says this, side door, side door. <laughs> and I said to the first service, I don't know, I don't care who you are, but you've made it when you get to the side door. You know what I'm saying to you? 
oh no, I'm not walking through your front door with the riffraff. Oh, not at all. I'm side door, straight to the, the green room. The green room. The, greedy, the green room is like the food hall at Marks and Spencer's. The green room. Oh, into the green room. Oh my goodness. The square room filled with the square sofas, pictures of the good and great. And, this, the, and the, the table in the middle filled with stuff out of the basket. They just got a 10 basket and emptied it. It was unreal. And I'm sitting there just like overwhelmed. And I notice there's a human behind me. There's this girl sitting behind me and are standing behind me like this here. So I'm sitting, sofas, she. And I'm like, hey, is your woman? What's she doing? And I'm checking my wallet. I'm being robbed here. So, you know, ever the Irish, you know, just suspicious of everything. <laughs> Paranoid. That's it. I should be stealing you, you know. But this is it. You know. Anyway, so and so I'm like, are you okay? I'm here to serve you. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> okay. Anything you want, I'm here to get it. I'm like, this is insane. And so, do you want a, a, a Diet Coke? Yeah, Diet Coke. Do you want ice? Yes. Do you want lemon? Yes. Do you want lime? Yes. Just put everything in it. Just put everything in it. Do you want a trick? Just taste it before it's poisonous or whatever. Anyway, so I'm having the whole thing. It was, it was unreal. It was a wonderful thing. And I'm like the pastor. I said to Jared, I'm like, what? You guys have just gone to the next level in, in your generosity, in your hospitality, da, 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 da. And then he said this. He says, you know what? It, it, could, it could possibly look a bit showy, it could look a bit weird, and it could be a bit overwhelming. It's how we do it, because here's our thinking. He says, when we give the best we can, he says, we know we get the best we can. And I thought it was amazing, because here, here Andy and I were, we were in, it's a much, much, it was a 900 to maybe 1,000 people in this room. It's a, it's a big thing. And I was preaching, that was the biggest crowd I'd ever spoke to to that point, okay? And they know it, they know. And so they know if they treat you well, if they add value, if they encourage you, if they provide nice things in the way that they're able to do, whatever excellence is for them, that's what it is. They know that, you know what, you'll feel loved and accepted that you're going to preach well. You're going to bring something well. And it was just an incredible mindset for me. And he says, when we give the best we can, we know we get the best we can from the visiting preacher. Church, and here's my point. Don't get lost in the story. It's got nothing to do with the money or the ostentatiousness of it all, okay? It is the mindset. It is a mindset of contextual generosity that's not there to show off and say, hey, we've got it. You need to copy us. Not at all. It's a mindset that says we want to value our guests because we know what honor does. Honor opens heaven above them, and if heaven is open above them, amen, we know they'll preach well and we will get the best from them. So when I come home, can you imagine the size of my ego when I got home? I have to open my own door, okay? There was no Jeep, no, no nothing, and no kangaroos. I mean, nightmare, absolutely awful. No one to pour my Coke, pour your own Coke, you brute. Do you know what I'm saying? That was it. But I knew this. I knew that I couldn't match the method. I couldn't. I, there's no way we'd have the money, the resource, the people. Oh, my goodness, okay? I couldn't match it. But what I could was match the mindset. If I couldn't match the method, I could match the mindset. And so we made subtle changes, everyone, to how we maybe hosted our visitors and our guests. I mean, it wasn't anything like this. You just can't bring in kangaroos. You know what I'm saying to you? But you know what I mean? We were able to make some... And here's my point. My ministry peers... My peers in ministry were providing propulsion for our purpose. 
They were providing propulsion. Let me read to you a little bit uh, from the first few verses of our text again, all right? And so let's go from verse 1. And and now, brothers, Paul says, uh, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And here we go in verse 2. Lean in with me here. In the midst of a not just an ordinary trial or a severe trial, but a very severe trial. So we don't know what the trial is, but it is difficult. Some of you are in the minute going through a severe trial or a very severe trial. The Bible understands that. But Paul goes on, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, they've had this collision with the result that it's welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave, verse 3, as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Listen to verse 4. They urgently pleaded. Now, there's some intensity in in those words, aren't there? You can almost sense they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Can you, in in the early part, and let's say in verse 2 there, Can you, church, open arms, feel, get a sense of the pain of the moment? We kind of get an idea, don't we? The very severe trial. Let me talk to you about the stages of trials. You are either going into one, in one, or coming out of one. It's the circle of life. Okay? Once you hit about 18, 19, and you understand that life is not held together by fairy dust and duct tape, okay? You're either going into a trial, in trial, or coming out of a trial. Repeat. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's what we get. This is where we're at. It is the pain of a moment. And yet, everybody, look at verse 4. They urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So in verse 2, we have the pain of the moment. But in verse 4, we get a sense of the power of their mindset. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And so I kind of think, and I'm arguing a little bit from silence, but if there's urgent pleading, everyone, it must mean there was some kind of mini argument going on with Paul. Have you ever seen two people in a restaurant fighting over who's going to pay? I kind of get it like that. No, no, it's you. No, it's you last week. It's me this week. No, no, it's me. Put your money. It's kind of a dance. Put, mm mm-hmm, no, no. And there's a rush to the till. I'll eat you. I'll fight you. I'll do whatever. You've been there, okay? It's that type of thing. Paul, you know, he said you ought to give. And Paul's going, you know what? You can't give as much. We want to give. Paul's going, listen, don't you? You can't give it. We want to give. Paul's like, are you sure? I don't really. Paul We need to plead with you. It is a privilege for us. I know we're in the pain of a moment. I know we're in the midst of a very severe trial. But as a church, as a body of believers, here's what we are going through. But here's what we believe. We believe it is a privilege to share in the giving to the Lord's people. That's what we believe. I know what the world around us is like. But there's a world within us, a mindset that says, I get it. I see it. I'm not ignoring it. But I choose because I have a different mindset living within me. Amen? And I want you to see this. In the moment of fiscal pain, they carried a mindset of financial privilege, okay? I want you to even take the fiscal out and the financial out. In the moment of pain, they carried a mindset of privilege. In, In the midst of marital pain, they carried a mindset of breakthrough privilege. 
In the middle of health pain, we carried a mindset of healing privilege. And it doesn't matter what the fiscal or financial, as a body of believers, spirit filled with the living God, no matter what the world around us is like, and it is real, and it is tender, and it is difficult, it is downright difficult for many of you in the moment, but there is a God in us, there is a word in us, there's a spirit in us that says, no matter what this is, I'm living out of a sense of privilege in my life. And I know some of you, and I'm getting to know a lot of you better, and I know what some of you are dealing with. It's real life, it's icky, it's hard, it's difficult, and you don't know what the future looks like. You don't know the outcome, but there's a mindset in you. There's a word in you. Why? Because there's a God in you. Amen? That no matter what, we need to take sort of what Candice is talking about earlier today and have those still small moments and cultivate that sense of privilege as we allow the Lord to whisper in our lives. Amen? So come on, let's, let's retain a mindset that in, we'll, we'll pull it back to our giving series, but let's have a mindset that counts it a privilege in sharing. And I know, I know all of us right now, do not put your hands up, but it's now the 13th or so of November, yes? Is that the right date? Okay, all of you are skirting the, over, under, the, the, the overdraft of your account. Some of you are a week to 10 days of payday and you're all smiling going, okay? Because how does he know? How does he know? Because the Lord told no, he didn't. <laughs> okay, I'm alive. That's how I know, all right? This is where we're all at, all right? So, and you're like, I don't know, I can't give, I don't know. Not the money. It's the mindset. It's the mindset. It's building a sense of faith and privilege and a mindset that says, you know what? Hey, when I come on the season, and I get the seasons, there are seasons you give more, there are seasons. Hey, look, read on in chapter 8 if you want in your own time, and you'll see Paul say this. Listen, I don't need you to get broke so other people can be, can be well off. No point you giving to your empty while empty are now full, and now you're empty. We'll have to give it back from them to give to you. There's no point. It's about balance. It's about timing. It's about seasons, everyone. But no matter the season, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to give and our time, our talent, and our treasure in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, role model number two. It's the last one. And it is this. It is the propulsion of our pardon. Everybody say pardon. pardon. Mm. The propulsion of our pardon. Now, oh, when would I have been? At eight, nine, ten, that kind of zone. And uh, near where we lived, my, my, you see my dad there? So he's, they're still at our home. They, they still, obviously, where I grew up for the most part, and across the way from where we used to live, there was a, a guy, friend of mine, we kinda, he was a little younger than me, but we kind of hung out a little bit, and at the end of his garden, George, there was, there was like an old greenhouse, right? And if you can imagine the old greenhouse, it was like, you, you, you've seen kind of the picture, it's got white frame, wooden white frame, glass, but old, okay? Paints cracking, split, you know, and dirty, bit of moss up the inside of the window, green glass, a few cracks in the panes. You kind of get the idea, okay? And so even though this was his house, we would go over to the end of his garden and we'd throw stones through the 
glass of the greenhouse, all right? And nothing in the greenhouse, by the way. No, dam- no plants were damaged in the making of this story. But it was just an old, rickety kind of thing. And we would throw stones at the greenhouse, and it would be great fun. Day after day, week after week, let's put another pane or two out. It was his greenhouse. He didn't, he didn't seem to mind. So we just went over, and so we'd bang in a few stones. So my dad saw us one day uh, doing this, and, you know, had a word. Not from the Lord, he just had his own word, okay? <laughs> and uh, he says, it's probably now about time that you don't throw any more stones at that greenhouse because that greenhouse looks like it could fall at any moment. How many people know parents are wise? Okay, and if that, just two of you, okay. And if that greenhouse falls down and you're near the greenhouse, what happens? It's going to fall. What's greenhouses made of primarily? Glass and da-da-da-da. You get it. Perfectly good, wise decision. Father, you're so wise. You're a sage. You are incredible. I turned to my friend. Shall we go to the greenhouse? Yes, we shall. <laughs> Let's go. And off we go. More stones. <laughs> and we wrecked this thing, okay? And then we threw this kind of larger stone, and it happened, everybody. It happened. Father prophet, okay? It happened. We hit this stone to this thing. I maybe hit a, at a, at a top joint or I don't know what it hit. But anyway, this thing came down with an almighty crash. And there's no way of hiding it. There's no way you're hiding that from your dad. Nothing to see here. Nothing happened. You know? Now, fortunately, we were far enough away, so we weren't cut or damaged in any way, shape, or form. However, my dad did get to find out when we... He was delighted, delighted. And uh, even though he told us not to go near the greenhouse and he told us not to throw stones at the greenhouse and even though there was plenty of warning and good reason as to why we shouldn't throw stuff at the greenhouse that would collapse and glass and whatever, he, uh, we, we stumbled on ahead and we, we disobeyed everything that he said. And now me and my friend John, we were standing looking at the greenhouse feeling very guilty, feeling very ashamed, feeling very whatever at a very young age and not sure what our next step was, okay, other than to emigrate, okay, and not sure what was going to happen. And I remember my dad rocking up to the situation, and he turns and he says to me, you know what, let me take it from here. I will take it from here. And so what I didn't know, what I found out later was that he had then contacted the owners of the greenhouse, i.e. John's parents, and he arranged to meet them, and he paid for a replacement greenhouse. He paid for a replacement greenhouse. I broke the greenhouse. He paid for the greenhouse. I've got this from here. That even though I disobeyed, even though I was full of shame and guilt and culpable, okay, and justice needed to be served, someone's got to pay for it. I couldn't pay for it. I'm eight or nine, or 10, either way, I couldn't pay for it. I couldn't pay for what I'd done. So my dad paid for what I'd done. This sounds familiar. Some of us, we are walking through life with the memories of the greenhouses, with the memory of the stones that we've thrown for the glass that we smashed, you know the metaphor, for the stones that you've received and the pains of your heart and your mind that have been shattered by others. And we walk around carrying this stuff 
and the subsequent guilt and the shame and the regret, wondering if there's any way this will ever leave. Wondering if there's any way that the memory or the, the power of the memory of those moments can ever be shaken off. I wonder if there was any way that we could finally be forgiven. I wonder if there's any way that the guilt and the shame of our past could be cast off. I wonder, is there a way? I wonder, is there a God? I wonder, is there a God that will come alongside our life and say, do you know what? I've got this from here. I wonder, is there anyone in the world or in heaven that would come along and say, you know what? I've seen what you've done, even though I've told you not to, and even though you're carrying the consequences of what you've done, I want to take it from here. I want to give you what I carry and put it on you, and I want to take what you carry and put it on me. I want to become the price that I'll pay on your behalf so you can get away with it. I want to put you off the hook you're on. I want to set you free. I love you so much that I want to pay the price for everything you've done because I know you can't, but I love you so much. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. In verses 4 to 6, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our greenhouses. And he was pierced for the stones that we threw. He was pierced for all the thoughts that we think and the, the harm that we've caused and the, and the sin. Can we, can we go old school? Can we call it for what it is? For the sin that we've committed? For the status of sinner? He was pierced. For all of them. There's not a sin that you've committed that he hasn't been pierced for. There's nothing so dark that his light cannot penetrate. There's nothing so awful that he cannot cover. There's nothing so deep and dark and secret that he cannot reach that he is not willing to take the cross for. The Bible says he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. The shalom. Was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Paul goes on, Romans 3.23 says, Look, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity into the hearts of all men. I've got to tell you, I don't care whether we believe, we don't believe, we're kind of believing, I've never believed, I'll never believe, da, da, da. but God has put eternity into the hearts of men. There's never been a more spiritually aware generation in the world that we are living in in this moment, and it is the, it is the unanswered call of eternity beating in the hearts of men, trying to find a way out. And I've got to tell you this, there's only one name, there's only one name, and it is the name of... It's the name of Jesus. Paul goes on in Romans 5 verse 8. He says, For God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing verse. One of my favorite verses, I think. And this is the picture it conjures for me. It's almost like I'm with John at the greenhouse and I'm throwing stones. My dad's told me, don't throw stones. And yet there I go and I'm throwing stones and I'm throwing stones. And it's like my dad's watching, watch this, 
Like he's watching me disobey him and he's writing the check to pay for what I've done while he's watching me. That's how powerful that verse is. Because the Bible says in this verse that even on my worst day, God was making it possible for me to have my best day. Amen. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Because out of his great love for us, this is the love of God again and again and again, who is rich in mercy. He's not tight in mercy. He's not you know, poverty in mercy. He's not lacking in mercy. He is rich in mercy, the Bible says, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And he says this, real famous, it is by grace you have been saved. It is grace, everyone. Grace, the undeserved favor of God. It is where Jesus does it all on our behalf. There is no need for a seven steps to wherever, a 10-point plan to whatever. Some of those things may have minimal value, but in terms of eternal salvation, there's only one step, there's only one God, there's only one Savior, and the Bible says that at His name, every knee shall bow, and every Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, he is Lord, amen. He is Lord. So why am I telling you all of this? Well, it's because in verse 9, we come face to face with the greatest role model there is or ever will be. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Amen? Phenomenal. The word grace here is the Greek word charis. Charity. Charis. And it means this, the divine influence on the heart and its reflection on the life. Just forget those other words. The divine influence on the heart and its reflection on the life. In other words, grace is not a one-time event you walk into when you meet Jesus for the first time. Grace is an ongoing giving thing that when it touches your heart, it reflects on your entire life. Grace is so powerful, it changes everything about you and how you live. Some people think, well, if I become a follower of Jesus, how will I change? You won't, but when the grace of God hits your heart, the Bible says there's something in the grace of God that reflects on the entire life. It changes how you think. It changes how you believe. It changes how you ask and give and move and live and have your being. And then the Bible says that God gives it with joy. He gives it liberally. He doesn't hold anything back. He, it's his, his pleasure. It's his favor. It's his gift. And it has this sense of gratifying our soul. Peace. We get the peace of God. And so I want to encourage you, we need to be reminded today, and maybe this is brand new for someone in the room or watching online, allow the reality of Jesus and all that he has done to touch your heart afresh. We've got to forget COVID and focus on the cross. I want to encourage you, you are, not maybe one day I will sort of, maybe, you are forgiven. When you woke up this morning, you woke up in forgiveness because of God's grace. Right now, you're in God's grace. I don't have to do anything. You're in it. 
And once you know you have it, that's how you change. You don't have to change to get it. This is how the kingdom works. You don't have to change to get God's grace. But when you get God's grace, you want to change. And you have the power to change because once it hits your heart, it reflects on your entire life. Am I making sense? Come on. You're loved. You are chosen. You are called. If you're a Christ follower, let me tell you, you are going to heaven and eternity has already started for you. You have spiritual gifts that can change your world. So I want to encourage you again. Marriage is tough. Recall his grace. Work is a nightmare. Grace. Friends forgot to put you on the WhatsApp group. Grace. I feel flat today and I don't know why. Grace. Come on. I'm feeling insecure. I'm having a fat day. I'm having a thin day. I'm having a big thigh day. doesn't matter what day you're having. Grace of God on your heart. Have an encounter. Nothing's working out for me. Grace of God, because grace is always working out for you. Heaven is always working out for you. God is always working out for you. Come on, allow the grace of God. My daughter Sarah, you see a picture of her earlier. Last two weeks ago, she was walking the, the crater of Mount Vesuvius. Geography field trip. I got to the morns. How times have changed. Where'd you go? Oh, the Amalfi Coast. Oh, did you? I'm on the county down. <laughs> Grace is like a volcanic eruption. Boom! And the lava, cheesy, the lava love flows every part of where you are. Oh, and it gets better. Can I teach you a minute? For you know. Can you put up verse 9? Or all the text or verse 9? Let me show you this. Maybe, maybe, I've got a, maybe I've got a slide of it. For you know. So the word know in the Greek, here we go, Greek. Forgive me, any Greek in the room. Okay. Genosko. Genosko. G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Genosko. Here's what it means. It means, I've got it, there it is. To know in a great variety of expressions and with many implications. Not wonderful? It means the grace of God that touches your heart and influences your life. When it hits you, it hits you in a way that creates variety of expressions. And with many, I love this, oh, many implications. When grace hits your life, the implications for you are eternal. And they're unending. Let me put these things together. For you know the grace of God. I'm going to give you the Allah Brian version of verse 9. Okay? And I put it like this. Christians in Corinth, again, I'm, I'm, as if I was writing verse 9, bringing these two elements out a little bit more. Christians in Corinth, not only do you know about the grace of Jesus, but you've experienced grace for yourself. You have encountered the reaches of its power through your lives, and you are eternally changed because of His grace. You also know how he gave up his endless glory to enter into human poverty by comparison and held nothing back from us, not even his own life. And open arms as I get ready to land this plane. I want to remind you today that heaven has held nothing back from you. Heaven holds nothing back from you. Let me prove it. Look at John 3, 16. 
The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? Look with me at John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Christ on the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. And then Acts 2, verse 4 says this, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Church, this morning, these three verses have this in common. They show that heaven has held nothing back. Watch this. The Father gave it all, the Son paid it all, and the Spirit filled them all. Amen? Isn't it beautiful? Heaven holds nothing back from you. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Heaven holds nothing back. And you know, I was sharing this with the Newbridge crew last week, and it kind of came to me in the second service. But open arms. The title of your church. If you were to try and demonstrate your church's title, your name, how would you do it? Let's all try it. Don't whack the person beside you now. Let's open our arms. Let's just open arms. So when you go tomorrow to work, what church do you go to? Open arms. Okay. Open arms to me has kind of got a holding nothing back kind of vibe to it, doesn't it? Like, it's kind of got that feel to it. But it's hard to hold nothing back when you're holding on to something. Isn't it? This is open arms, church. This is open arm, church. Arms church, arm church. You see, all of you go to open arms church, but if you went to open arms church, open arm, you'd only come here once a month. So I'm busy. Because that's open arm church. See, we're open arms church. I don't serve here or give here or pray for here because I'm part of open arm church. No, no. I'm part of open arms. That's what I do. I'm not open arm. I'm open arms. Why? Because this is my church. This is my family. The people in this room are my friends that I'm getting to know better. We're doing life. We're, we're changing Ireland. We're changing Dublin. We're changing our families. We're changing our communities. And we're holding nothing back because heaven has held nothing back from us and holds nothing back from us. So I want to give what I can in the season that I'm going through. I want to give whatever I can. Why? Because heaven is an open arms heaven and we are an open arms church. We are life giving and we are life changing. That's what we're all about. I don't want to, there's, there's enough open arm churches. There's enough open arm Christians. There's enough I can't be bothered believers. I can't be bothered. It's too much work. It's too much effort. I'm out of the way of it. COVID. Nah, 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 nah. Nah. Open arms. Because the Father gave it all. And the Son paid it all. And the Spirit filled them all. Come on. And I'm believing with you for your families. I'm believing with you for your streets and your communities. I'm believing with you for your workplaces. I'm believing. I'm believing. For God to do things through who? Through open arms people. 
people with open arms and open hearts and open gifts and open generous mindsets and words and come on what would your marriage look like if we held nothing back I heard this week the average married couple has one kiss a week where are these people a week that's a lot isn't it <laughs> never lost I'm sorry wrong talk hold nothing back from your kids don't underestimate the influence you are imagine work tomorrow the next day when you hold nothing back amen who's going into work tomorrow how good would it be if you held nothing back you walk in tomorrow, I don't like my boss, I don't care. You're not there for him, you're there for him. And what would it look like to your peers in your office when you hold nothing back? When you don't go in at nine o'clock, then have a pee, then make the coffee, and then start work. But you go in early so you can start at nine the time you're paid for. Why? Because we're open arms people and we do things differently. We live in a different way. We hold nothing back from our bosses, from our spouses, from our children, from our God, from our community, from our people, small groups, life groups, mission groups, carol service, who we bring in, whatever it is we're doing, we hold nothing back because heaven has held nothing back and will hold nothing back. I'm not trying to be cheeky. But come on, your soul is screaming for you to hold nothing back. The world is screaming for a church that will hold nothing back. How do we reach the world? Nobody believes anymore. Stop it. And the way we win the world is the way Christ won the world. We hold nothing back. The Father gave it all. The Son paid it all. And the Spirit filled them all. And open arms, let's be a church. Life-giving. Life-changing. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand together right now. Let's stand. Spirit in the room.